the underlying message is, you know, if you can't form habits, you're never going to be healthy. And like ADHDers are never going to form habits. I'm sorry. Like that's not part of who we are. We, you know, when something is habitual, it's like, you're not thinking about it. It's super easy. It doesn't take any thought process. And like, that's just not how our brains function. Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. The following is a review on the Apple Podcasts platform in Canada from Hannah Saylor. It's entitled Recent Diagnosis. I love this podcast so much. I was just recently diagnosed with ADHD, and as soon as I found out, I went straight to my podcast app. I'm so glad I found it because I was so curious and had so many questions. Listening to people I can relate to is really comforting to me, and it makes me feel so relieved that I'm not the only one. Thank you so much for providing this amazing podcast. Thank you, Hannah Saylor. You know, when I was diagnosed, I did the exact same thing. I typed in women and ADHD into my Apple Podcasts app, and I found the wonderful ADHD for Smartass Women podcast by Tracy Outsuka, and then proceeded to binge listen to the first like 80 episodes. So I knew when I started this podcast that I wanted to name it Women and ADHD, so it would be really easy to find for women who were recently diagnosed or even just exploring the possibility that they could have ADHD and feel like they're not, in fact, lazy or broken. But there are actually quite a lot of us who share these quirks and traits and the accompanying shame, despite being incredible women and mothers and partners and artists and entrepreneurs, etc. And of course, thank you for taking the time to review because each one of these reviews and five-star ratings helps this little podcast grow and get seen by others wherever they are in their ADHD diagnosis journey. And it also gives me a serious dopamine hit. If you are a frequent listener of the podcast and you feel like you have finally found your people, then come hang out with us in the Women in ADHD online community. Head over to womenandadhd.com or find the link in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. Again, that is womenandadhd.com. Okay, here we are at episode 54 in which I interview Alita Storch. Alita is an anti-diet dietitian, therapist, and certified body trust provider. She specializes in providing anti-diet values-centered body liberation work with folk that have disordered eating, a history of dieting, and or ADHD. Alita currently works with individual clients in her virtual private practice, Wise Heart Nutrition, and she also runs an online group program to support ADHDers in navigating food and eating difficulties and in developing intuitive eating skills in order to nourish both the body and the brain. We talk about the pressures of all-or-nothing perfectionism and why women with ADHD are prone to eating disorders. We also talk about diet culture and the problems with weight-centric views of health, victim-blaming within the diet industry, and the insane stress of wedding planning. Since this episode was recorded, Alita actually did get married, so big congratulations to her and her partner who live in the Pacific Northwest with their grumpy dog, Rhubarb. Without further ado, here is my interview with Alita. Enjoy. 
All right. So I guess I have so many questions for you. So, but we will start with your uh, diagnosis stories. So I'm curious, I always ask my guests right away, like when were you diagnosed with ADHD and kind of what in your own life were the signs that made you think you might even have this and um, talk me through how long ago that was and on all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, so I grew up with a lot of the ADHD symptoms. I was kind of a wild child. Um, and in school, I was always the person who like had to have their desk separated. And I was always put in the corner because I was talking too much and I couldn't sit still. Um, and I was really forgetful. Like I never, never turned in homework, um, or I would forget to do it, or I would forget my lunchbox. And I was just kind of like a hot mess as a child. Um, It was a little bit of a tornado. And the like diagnosis was kind of thrown around. And oftentimes people would say like, oh, you're so ADD or, you know, you're so ADHD. But it was more of a um, like passing comment that would come from like teachers or friends. And um, my Exactly. Yeah. Like you can't pay attention. You're so ADD. (laughs) Um, And so there was like a part of me that always knew, right? Like, okay, I fit these symptoms. Um, And my, my parents were like hippies. They're super liberal. And so they, they saw me as just like a really special child and they put me in the gifted program and um, didn't necessarily see like my shortcomings as a problem. And they, they figured, you know, I'd kind of grow out of it or I'd find the tools to function in life. Um, and so we never like sought out a formal diagnosis. And then in grad school, I was really, really struggling. Um, and I was struggling specifically with food. Um, and part of my story is, you know, I healed from an eating disorder while I was in undergrad. Um, and so things were going really well and I started grad school and I started to struggle with food again, but it wasn't necessarily around um, body and body image. It was more like I would forget to go grocery shopping or I didn't have a plan. And so I was just eating like mac and cheese every single day because that's all I had. Um, And so I was in school for nutrition. I'm a registered dietitian. And so there was a lot of shame. Um, I went to Bastyr, which is like a uh, put it in quotes, like a health food um, kind of program or health food kind of school. Um, so there was a lot of shame around surviving off of like, quote unquote, junk food or convenience foods. Um, and so I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to get this figured out. My grades were also suffering. Uh, everyone else seemed to like have it together and um, be doing really well in all of our classes. And I just felt like I had no idea what was going on in any of my classes. So I went and saw a psychiatrist and um, worked with him for a little bit. And he was like, yes, absolutely. This makes sense. You have combined type. And it was sort of like a sigh of relief. Um, Like, okay, there, not that there's something wrong with me, but like, there's a name for this. And it sort of validated like everything I'd been feeling for years and years and years. Um, And that it wasn't just like, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get myself together, um, that there was an underlying kind of reason for it. And so that was maybe, wow, eight years ago. I don't even know. Yeah. Grad school. So like 2013. (laughs) Um, so about seven or eight years ago. Um, and I got on medication and I feel like my life has turned like a full 360 (laughs) where, yeah, I just feel, I fear, feel more able to 
navigate the things that are hard. Um, things are still really hard. I still forget everything. I'm still kind of a tornado and like I, I can just manage it a little bit better mm-hmm. um, with medication and then mostly with like understanding um, what was going on with my brain. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I feel like I've got like a sports commentator that follows me around now <laughs> since my diagnosis, which is sort of like, or, or like, you know, the notes in the margin where there's like this voice that's like, oh, okay. So here is where you are experiencing sensory overload. And this is how you tend to react. And like, it's almost like on the one hand, it's exhausting because I feel like there's this extra nuance and this extra layered voice that's like being like, okay, this is when you tend to do this. And this is why you do this. But at the same time, like, I feel like there's just so much more clarity um, in terms of like being in the moment and not immediately just wanting to curl up in the fetal position, which was by default. For so yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like being able to like step outside of yourself. And I, I often talk about um, like being able to almost like see myself from above, um, which I feel like, yeah, is so similar. Just kind of watching and being like, Oh yeah, yeah. You're doing that thing again. Okay. How are you going to like, maybe do it different this time? Right. Yeah. Um, that's not so helpful. Yeah. It's like, it's not like you have suddenly cured yourself of any of these issues, but I think so much of our struggle tends to be like the, the lack of awareness and mm-hmm. um, not really knowing in the moment what's happening and kind of going from zero to overwhelm so quickly. And so I yes. feel like, yeah, the out of, yeah. It, it is sort of an out of body experience. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a big part too, is like understanding that we're not weirdos. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you felt this, but like growing up, I was always like, I always felt like the odd one out. I felt like I had a hard time connecting with people. Um, I would make really good friends and then they would not be my friends in three weeks because I had annoyed them or overwhelmed them. Um, So I just always thought I was really weird. And so being able to understand that and have a little more self-compassion, I think has been like the biggest change for me with my diagnosis. Um, Yeah, I just feel a lot more compassion for that kid and, and for the adult version of me as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's funny. I had, I got dumped a lot by female friends growing up, Mm -hmm. especially as a teenager and in my twenties. And I also sort of now look back at that and with such this new insight, because I always thought like, maybe I am an asshole, you know, like, uh, you know, because I, I got, I would get like formally dumped by women who felt like I was aloof or, you know, that I was snobbish or I wasn't paying enough attention to them or they got in touch with, you know, I texted you X amount of times and you weren't getting back to me and like always feeling like a really bad friend. And, you know, this is common. I feel like I've spoken to a a lot of women about this and I've read so much, you know, about that experience of feeling like we just have a really difficult time with female friendships. Um, But always like feeling like, well, these things that I am doing, I know I'm doing them. And so maybe I am just an aloof asshole. Like it was almost like use that kind of, for lack of a better term, like gaslighting your myself, right. We're yes. always feeling like maybe I am fundamentally broken when, yes. and, and, um, and I don't care about people. Like, I think that's something we don't talk enough about is like that struggle of like, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't care. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, being able to kind of have that new lens has been so incredible to be like, Oh yeah. no, it's not that I don't care. I literally forget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I talk before I think. Yeah. And one of my, one of my oldest friends who I've known since university. So it was like 25 years at this point, like, you know, 
we, I was just FaceTiming with her this morning and we hadn't texted each other in months and we usually will like check in. And so I, you know, I said to her, I was like, I'm so glad you don't hate me. Um, because that's what happens when people don't text me back. I, you know, if somebody doesn't text me back after 24 to 48 hours, I'm immediately like, okay, I clearly did something to anger her. Uh, I don't know what I did. I, oh, well, I guess the friendship's over. Like, it's just yep. such a weird <laughs> feeling of like, of like, oh God, like uh, clearly something I did, you know, mm-hmm. intent unintentionally angered this person. And yes. what do I do now? Do I deal with it? Do I pester them? Do I just move on? And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I want to backtrack because, you know, I really hadn't thought formally very much about the shame around um, convenience food eating, right? Because I have spoken with guests about orthorexia. I certainly experienced it. And it's been really interesting to think about kind of that all or nothing perfectionism that comes with ADHD and how that relates to how we eat and how that relates to nutrition. Um, But I hadn't really thought about like, yeah, being in school and having the shame element um, and, you know, we've talked about shame so much, but having that shame element of like, I should be doing better because I am in nutrition <laughs> school yes. and that added <laughs> pressure that you put on yourself, like feeling like you are being questioned and judged all the time about what you put in your mouth. Yes. Yeah. And like being a dietitian and going through the dietetics program, it's a lot of like perfectionistic type A personalities and perfectionistic not, not because, um, like with ADHDers, that's just sort of how we're masking, but perfectionistic, like personality wise. Um, and so there was so much comparison that was happening and people would show up with like their perfect salad and, you know, all of their little snacks compartmentalized. And I would be like, well, I have to go to the convenience store because I don't have any food and I'm here for 12 hours. (laughs) Um, and it just, yeah, it was like another, like reminder every day of being like inadequate or not adding up and, and definitely made me question like, how, how can I do this work if like, I can't even feed myself? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's quite common though, right? Amongst registered dietitians. Um, That feeling of like, who am I, who am I to give anybody (laughs) uh, advice? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where like the bulk of my work is like, I found, I found my people (laughs) um, that I love working with um, who struggle with, you know, just being able to plan ahead and have tried meal planning and are like, how do people do this? I don't understand. I I don't know how people just like do the dishes after they finish eating. Like what is wrong with those people? Mm. And I think the fact that I can relate and be like, yep, here's my sink. My sink is full of dirty dishes and like I'll show clients. And I think it's like mind blowing for them that you're like, yeah, I don't do food and eating perfectly um, all of the time. And like, that's not the end goal either. Cause I, when I lived alone, I did each dish as soon as I dirtied it, I did it um, immediately because uh-huh. I knew that if I had a sink full of dishes, I would get overwhelmed and I wouldn't do them. And so I was like very, like, I think there is some ways in which those tendencies come off as OCD, but they're actually like quite rational when you have executive functioning issues. 
<laughs> yes. Where you're like, I have to do things in the moment. Otherwise they're going to pile up. And, and, yep. and then, so then when I started living with my done. husband <laughs> and he would put dishes in the sink, then I would never do them. Cause I was like, you've ruined my system. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you do the dishes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yes. And so now it's his domain. Um, it was same with like, when we put all of our books together, when we moved in together, like my books were all like alphabetical by author. And every time I would move somewhere, I would be very like meticulous about putting my books on the bookshelf. And then when we moved in together, he just showed, shoved all the books together on the bookshelf. <laughs> and I was just like, you've destroyed the system. And, and then I was like, I need, I can never touch the bookshelves ever again. Like, I'm like, you are now in charge of the book. Yep. <laughs> it's really like all yeah. or nothing with that, with that yes. kind of hyper organization too. Yes. That is so true. Right? So true. Yeah. Yes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know, I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. Okay. So where were we? I want to talk about, um, we, so we did talk about a little bit in the past, but so, um, when did you, when did you start working specifically with other ADHD clients when it came to nutrition? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I definitely had ADHD clients like from the get go and didn't really put put it together that I was sort of almost like attracting that type of client um, until a few years in and, and kind of reflecting back on my first few years, I was like, huh, like those are the clients that are still with me, that have made a lot of progress that I really enjoy working with. And so that's when I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like I, yeah, I don't want to, I mean, yes, I do want to work with other people as well, but I don't want, you know, I don't want to focus on, on neurotypical um, clients. I really, really want to help the people that I know how to help um, because I have that shared experience. And so that was a couple of years in. Um, yeah. And I just noticed most of my clients had ADHD, which was kind of funny. I know. Right. It is. Uh, well, I was, a, I sort of came to that same conclusion with the health coaching where I was like, anyone who is attracted to my way of being probably also has undiagnosed ADHD because you just, you know, you find your people in that way. Mm -hmm. But I was really nervous that if I started specifically talking about ADHD and nutrition, all of the undiagnosed women who are like, I don't have ADHD. I'm not hyperactive. I just have depression and anxiety and social anxiety and all the other things we think we have (laughs) and that I was going to lose those women. So it is, it is, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you end up 
finding your ideal clients, the more specific you are. But I definitely remember fearing that if I started specifically talking about ADHD, there were going to be all of these women who were struggling with binge eating who were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's not for me. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, yeah, I think that happened to a degree. I, th- I do think like a lot of, some of my clients were like, oh, this is her new thing. I'm not ADHD, so I'm not going to, I, you know, I'm going to unsubscribe. But I think at the end of the day, you find so many more people who you can have like much more um, nuanced conversations about like exactly the source of what's happening with you. And I think when it comes to nutrition, it's just like mind boggling how our ADHD applies to our eating and <laughs> meals and yes. all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you felt this. I mean, it sounds like it, like it feels like a big business risk, right. To shift to this very specific population in this very specific um, area. And I found that my business grew so much faster after I did that because I think because I felt passionate about it. Um, you know, when I was just doing, just doing diet culture, just, or sorry, anti-diet culture, when I was, uh, you know, challenging, challenging all of that, I was growing, but it was sort of like, I don't know, I was kind of like bobbing along. Um, and then when I decided to specifically focus on ADHD, I had like all of this creative energy and I, you know, created this program and I was on my Instagram all the time. And, and that's actually what made my business grow. Um, and so I'm glad that I did that. I'm sad that I waited as long as I did. Um, but yeah, it's been such a good change for me. And like, I still have clients that don't have ADHD um, and they're wonderful as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So now let's talk about anti-diet philosophies. Uh, I certainly, you know, you and I kind of met each other because we have a lot of shared overlap with anti-diet and help at every size and intuitive eating, um, gentle nutrition approaches to food and, uh, or non-weight centric approach to health. Did I cover everything? I think I got all of the keywords and acronyms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I also know that like women want to lose weight and women go to nutritionists and especially registered dietitians because they want to lose weight. And so I find that there's also like a real sense of urgency among the ADHD community too, which is like, God, how do I, how do I fix everything now? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I need to have everything solved and I need to fix everything right now. And you're like, actually, there's like a whole huge bunch of things you need to untangle. Uh, so, so how do you find, uh, and I know this is a huge ask because I certainly don't have the answers to all of this, but like, what do you find when your clients come to you wanting weight loss? How do you even begin to start opening up that conversation about not having a weight centric view of health, especially in terms of ADHD? Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I feel like most of the time people come to me sort of knowing my approach and are at least like open to the idea idea of challenging, you know, the, the like weight centric approach. Um, but then there are also people who, who aren't, who haven't like read through my website and don't like have a very good grasp of, of what it means to be anti-diet. And so I'll often just start with like asking them their story and, you know, their, their diet history and their relationship with food and body history. And like through that, I think it can become really clear that like, oh, what I've been doing hasn't been working. 
And so like, why is it going to work now? Like why, why would pursuing, pursuing weight loss, why would dieting like somehow like now, now, now is the time to do that. Um, and so just doing like a lot of reflection on the person's story and their experience and asking lots of questions. And I always tell people too, like, I'm not in the business of convincing. Like my job is not to convince you that this is the right way or the best thing for you. My job is to help you explore this alternative paradigm and see like if it resonates with you. And if it does, like, awesome, let's do this work. And if not, you know, some people will stay with me for a little while and, you know, and go away and come back. And some people are like, this isn't for me. And that's okay too. Um, yeah, I, I hope that eventually they find food and body freedom. Um, but I think people have to be, have to be ready and open and willing on some level. Yeah. I don't know if that even answered your question. Well, no, it is, it is true. I mean, I think it's, it, for me, it comes down to this idea that it's okay to still want to lose weight, you know, um, that some people I think feel like they have to love their body before they can really start working in an anti-diet, um, um, approach. Right. And I'm like, we all live in the same culture. None of us is going to love our bodies. (laughs) Like you're not going to be there yet. And, and so I think it's always like, for me, I feel like it's always important to emphasize the fact that like, it's okay to have that desire. That desire is not going to go away when you start intuitive eating. It's definitely going to be that voice is going to get quieter over time. But at the same time, like you don't have to have all of your ducks in a row before you seek help. And I think that that might actually be another sort of element with ADHD and that sort of perfectionism and how difficult it is to ask for help too, which is like, sometimes you feel like you have to be super, like you even know need to know what you want before you can ask help. And I think that ends up being a barrier to us when it comes to wanting help. And I know with, with women I've worked with, clients I've worked with who are just sort of like, they feel that shame that they aren't there yet, that they're like not ready to give up on the desire for weight loss. And I'm like, I haven't given up on the desire for weight loss. You know, like it's always going to be there. It's just a matter of like, how do you live with it? And how do you, you know, let's start looking at the ways that you've tried in the past and how they're all not working. And so let's sort of deconstruct why they weren't working and what they, you know, what they're actually ended up the damage that they've actually done. And so like, what are the other avenues that we can approach? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, along with that, like what, like what's underneath that desire for weight loss? And I think that's something that with ADHD is so um, like unique where, you know, being, being in a larger body has so many, um, negative associations and there's a lot of stigma around, you know, not taking care of yourself and being lazy and, you know, not eating well. And these are all things that are not true, but they're also things that are associated with ADHD. And so there's like this double whammy of like, well, if I have ADHD and I'm in a larger body, like that just proves that I can't take care of myself. Um, and so it's sort of like, there's like these two pieces to unpack, um, you know, the accept acceptance, understanding of the ADHD brain, and then also like the understanding and acceptance around the body itself. And like, those things have to happen at the same time. And it's really hard to do. Yeah. That's a really great point. You know, that we, that internalized belief that if you're in a larger body, that you must be lazy 
uh, and that it's all your fault, which is really like the crux of internalized fat phobia. And it's true. Like that is how we've lived our lives with ADHD in turn of that internalized belief that we are lazy or that we are, um, you know, um, bad, you know, bad friends or all of the, you know, ways that we've kind of internalized those voices. Wow. That just blew my mind for a minute there. I hadn't really thought about it in that way. I've just like, I feel like there's a better word for gas than gaslighting, but I can't think of what it is with that, like the way in which we, um, you know, it's like, there's no insult you could give me that I haven't already given myself. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that internalized, um, soul crushing, poor self-esteem. <laughs> I don't know what the word yes, is, I guess yes. gaslighting. Um, but yeah, the way in which we like, you know, I think, especially with diet culture, like that belief that we are, are morally flawed if we're in larger yes. bodies. So talk to me about acceptance and commitment therapy, because this isn't something that I sort of formally knew about until I was poking around your website. It sounds super interesting. How did you yeah. come upon it and how do you use it with your clients? Yeah. Um, So I actually was introduced to it in my own eating disorder recovery journey. Um, My therapist, um, we were kind of like at this stuck point and she suggested that I go to this, uh, it was like a weekend workshop outside of Portland and it was all acceptance and commitment therapy. I think there were six of us and we just spent like a few days together exploring, exploring values and exploring shame and exploring mindfulness and all of these different pieces. And something really clicked that weekend. And that was the turning point for me where I was able to like move out of my eating disorder and move more towards the recovery process. Like that was when I was like, okay, like I'm ready to let go of this. This isn't serving me anymore. And a big piece of that was, you know, like the whole, like the whole diet culture thing doesn't align with my values at all. Um, I care about people, you know, I, I don't, I don't support oppression and here I am like actually perpetuating it by being, being stuck in my eating disorder. Um, and so that was really the values piece, I think is what really hooked me, um, as well as the like self-compassion acceptance piece where, you know, it doesn't mean that I have to solve it or I have to like, just totally be okay with everything, but just being like, okay, like this is how it is. And how am I going to move forward? Like things are going to be hard. And like, now what, what's the next step? Um, instead of like constantly beating myself up or just like being stuck in the struggle and the difficulty. Um, and so then when I went to grad school, I, did like all my research papers on acceptance and commitment therapy. And, um, you know, I, I went to some different like, um, trainings and yeah, it just, it, it really resonates with me and I find it to be so incredibly helpful in lots of ways. And like, it is also created by, you know, cis white males who have a lot of privilege and who have a lot of, um, like ableism, right. So neurotypical men have created this, this approach. And so there are a lot of issues with it when working with folks with ADHD and specifically around like, like motivation um, and habit forming and that sort of stuff where it just doesn't work for someone with a neurodivergent brain. Um, And so I take bits and pieces of it and I like throw out the pieces that don't work or, you know, kind of change them to, um, 
to be more applicable for someone with ADHD. But the the self-compassion piece, I think always, like I always come back to that. Yeah. You just reminded me of that book, Atomic Habits. Did you ever read Mm -hmm. it? I haven't read it. I've heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it, honestly. (laughs) I mean, there were, there were, you could pull out some interesting things, especially with, with ADHD in mind there. I think there is some, uh, there is some valid, uh, habit forming advice in there, but it's incredibly ableist. And it's an also, um, you know, he uses weight loss as like one of his go-to, um, examples all the time when it comes yes. to getting healthy. It's such a weight centric idea of health yep. from the, from the get-go with all of it. And it, it was just like, every time he came back to using that example, I was like, fast forward. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I, yeah. And so it was really disappointing, um, yeah. to see how intertwined those two things are still in so, yeah. you know, so much literature about health. Yeah. Well, like the underlying message is, you know, if you can't form habits, you're never going to be healthy. And like ADHDers are never going to form habits. I'm sorry. Like that's not part of who we are. Um, Yeah. We, you know, when something is habitual, it's like, you're not thinking about it. It's super easy. It doesn't take any thought process. And like, that's just not how our brains function. And so then if we're taught like, okay, well, if we can't do that, then we're never going to be healthy like we were basically like setting ourselves up for, for shame and failure. Um, yeah. And disappointment. Yeah. I think about that a lot with this emphasis on consistency that we get even from such a young age. I mean, when I was looking through my old report cards, I, that was a constant criticism throughout my report cards in school, which was like inconsistency, you know, and yes. because usually a lot of us got like an A plus in the things we loved and, you know, D's or lower in things we couldn't stand. And that was definitely my report cards. And so I always sort of felt like I came to that point where I was like, why is consistency important? Mm -hmm. Um, What is the inherent value in consistency? You know, and so like so many of us get down on ourselves because we love hobbies and we get super interested in sewing or knitting and all of these hobbies and then we drop them and then we're failures, you know? And I was like, why do we look at it like that? Like what's wrong with just saying, I like to try new hobbies. I don't finish things. <laughs> like <laughs> yes. why, why is it so morally charged? Right. And like, so I've been like really interested in sort of where can we take out the moral charge in things that we feel deficient in. Right. And like, it, like it was huge for me when I was, you know, had a real struggle with like chores around the house, you know, like dishes mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when, when an influencer like, uh, domestic blisters on TikTok, I don't know if you follow her, she's very mm-hmm. popular, uh, but she's basically like gives permission to a lot of women to say, dishes are boring. Like, why would you want to do dishes? Like it's totally, like, you know, just to give yourself that permission. And it's like, yeah, of course you don't want to do that. Uh, it just changed everything for me because I was like, oh yeah. Um, why do I feel like I'm a bad person or a bad mother or a bad wife? Because I don't want to vacuum, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I mean, I still have to figure out ways to get it done, but mm-hmm. you know, once you, you know, I can take out that charge. Um, and so it's interesting, like when you talk, when you think about dieting and you think about the fact that like, 
or just any kind of new health, you know, we get so interested in like a health fad and we get really supercharged about it. We do it for a couple of weeks and then it's overwhelming and impractical and we dump it. And then we get, then we feel like we're terrible people. And so it's, I think it's so important to like really like deconstruct like what is happening there. And like, why do we just, why do we immediately think that we are bad people if something wasn't working for us, you know, it's like, or, you know, or think just because we could only do something for, for a few weeks that therefore it wasn't working for us. I think that's what was my initial point when I started talking about consistency, which is like, why do we view inconsistency and inherently as a bad quality? And, um, that's been, I was just, I love thinking about that in terms of like, what are we telling our children in school? Why is it important to get A's in everything? You know, why, like, how does that serve us? <laughs> how does that yes. serve society? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um, and again, you know, like with the example of hobbies, like, I think it's great that you try 30 hobbies, even if you don't finish any of them, because you tried mm-hmm. 30, as opposed to that one person who's really good at that one thing. Mm-hmm. And why have we decided that one is better than the other? Absolutely. Well, and I always feel like, you know, when people say like, oh, I want to be more consistent. And I feel like it, like, it sounds like you want to be a robot. Like you want to be able to do dishes like every evening, right after you finish dinner without fail. And like, that's, that doesn't allow you to be human. Right. And so like, I don't know, what if you did one dish or what if you got up in the morning and did dishes? And so being able to like, show up persistently with your values and do the thing in a way that works for you versus like having these rules of what it has to look like Mm -hmm. Um, and doing that like at least you're doing some of the things you want to do versus just avoiding them completely because you feel you know like you're broken and you can't do anything well and I think that was something that I really struggled with when I left dieting and started embracing intuitive eating which was there was this part of me that felt like I'm going to do intuitive eating perfectly. And I'm always going to stop when full and I'm going to listen to my hunger cues and I'm going to, you know, everything's going to be wonderful and I'll probably even lose weight. You know, like, like I felt like I was treating intuitive eating like another diet and really, I really struggled with kind of feeling like I was a failure at that too. And then what, you know, cause I was like, if I can't, if I can't succeed at food freedom, what's mm. <laughs> then what, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, well, and like, what does that mean? Right. Like succeeding at food freedom. Yeah. Right? Like, like, that's a good yeah. point too. Right. Yeah. yeah. That there isn't, this isn't really about mastering anything. Right. But we want to be masters. <laughs> totally get that. We want to be good at the things that we're doing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's such a good point. Um, in terms of like nutrition as a metaphor for life or how we, isn't there some famous quote about like how we eat is how we do everything. Yeah. yeah. So how we do food is how we do life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Totally is. Um, Yeah. If you prefer listening to your books like I do, then I have some great news for you. My book, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom is now available as an audiobook. In the book, I share my own sordid history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating and how I finally broke free. I also break down the six essential steps 
that helped me finally find food and body freedom. If you're sick and tired of the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle, and you are ready to heal your relationship with food and your body, you're gonna wanna drop everything and listen to my book. It is a game changer, if I do say so myself. Reviewers have called it inspiring, insightful, amazing, refreshingly honest, and a must read for anyone for whom the dieting cycle has failed. So now you can find Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom on Audible or iTunes or Amazon or wherever you find your audiobooks. Happy listening. Okay, so now we've we've talked about some of the struggles around ADHD, especially around eating and um and I don't know, just life, but let's let's talk about some of the positives. What are yes. what are the some things that you love about your ADHD? Um, I mean the things that I love about like who I am are my creativity. Like I feel like I'm always full of ideas and I like being creative and it might kind of bounce around all the time. Um, but that means like you were saying, like I get to try lots of different things and that's really cool. Did you design your own website? Cause it's like, you see, that's the other thing I love yes. when you can like, you can do so many different things. And so like, I love your branding and your emails. And I know that it's probably all you doing it and hyper-focused. Yes, <laughs> I'm like, like, when yes, you put an ADHD, right. I'm like, when you put yeah. an ADHD or in front of Canva, like amazing things happen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. you, I love how, uh, I think your emails are fantastic. And I should tell you, I mean, that's the other thing is like, I feel like for every person that reaches out to me and tells me that they love this podcast, I have to like remind myself that there's probably tons more people who are just like me who think it and don't reach out because I never do. I never reach out. And now, now that I do this podcast and I understand how important it is to get that validation. I'm like, I feel like I'm doubly appreciative when people do reach out. And I also feel like I should actually get off, you know, I should actually, um, let people know, but it's so much easier in person to just be like, Oh, by the way, I love your emails than it is to actually just write you back and actually have to articulate that. <laughs> yes, But I think you, you, I really enjoy your, your emails and your, all of your wise heart, um, content, for lack of a better word. So, uh, I, you're very good at getting all of that, you know, Thank under you. the same umbrella. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I feel like being able to bring humor into it and maybe that's like another piece of the ADHD, right? Like, yeah, I feel like I like to make fun of myself and to laugh about things and to like find, find the humor in different situations. And, um, yeah, I definitely see that as a positive aspect. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm definitely definitely a seven on the Enneagram. I am also always... a seven, but I never know what to do with that number because I don't yes. feel like I've spent enough time really understanding what the numbers mean. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Sevens are fantastic. They're my favorite. Um, but yeah, we're like, we are, you know, we're positive and we have a lot of energy and we're, we get really excited about things. And um yeah. And I think a lot of that is actually my ADHD and where that comes from. And like the other piece is just like my big picture thinking. I am terrible at details. Um, like an, ex I'm, an example is I'm planning my wedding right now. And I was hanging out with um, my mom and sister and some other people. And we were talking about the table layout. And my sister was like, what's your vision? And I was like, I don't know, like earthy, you know, like very like natural and forest floor. And she was like, okay, well, do you need candles? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess so. 
she was like, okay, we need to order those. Do you, you know, do you need this? Do you need that? And at every, like every question, I was like, oh, I hadn't really like thought about that. Like that they're not just going to like, you know, magically appear out of nowhere. And so like details, not great, but big picture, fantastic. Um, yeah. I feel like there is a booming industry for wedding planners for ADHD. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it already exists and I haven't seen it. Oh my goodness. I feel like we have to have like an entire episode just on freaking wedding planning. Yes. Yes. Because like the tools that are out there don't help. Like I have like this checklist and I'm like, okay, cool. What do I do with this? Like all, yeah, it feels overwhelming. And I just, I'm like, I shut down and I can't mm-hmm. get the checklist. And yeah, it's been pretty fascinating to see um, how all my symptoms have shown up in the last several months. <laughs> right. And just with yeah. those huge projects like that. Yes. yes. And there were such paradoxes too, because when it comes to like having a lot of plates at once, we're really good in the moment when it comes to emergencies and juggling and having all these things that are going on. But then at the same time, you're right. Like these details where you're sort of like, oh God, I didn't, I thought this would all just sort of happen. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I like don't always feel like I'm good at that. Um, but I always get the feedback that I'm really good at it, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Like I always feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a total disaster. Like things are falling, you know, falling apart everywhere. And then I get feedback like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing at like, yeah, doing all of these different things at the same time. And so I think I tend to judge myself harder than, than anyone else, right? But well, yeah, maybe yeah, that is a skill. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it w- I mean, that's really so much of masking and so much, but I think as women, we relate to the masking element of feeling like our, um, how we are viewed is so different from how we view ourselves. And so there's like, I've talked about it a lot with, cause I came to my diagnosis through like my therapist talking about that huge divide between what I was accomplishing versus how I felt about myself. And and I, you know, it's been referred to as piece of shit syndrome a lot on my podcast, oh which gosh, I love totally yes. relate to. Right. But at the same time, like, then there's also that feeling like you're just so fundamentally misunderstood in any situation, good or yes. bad. Right. Like a lot of the time people think that you're hyper-organized and you feel like you're a hot mess, but then there's other times where people think you're struggling and you're sort of like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need, you know, um, especially with ADHD, like I've talked a lot about this idea, like I, I've really stopped trying to get people to understand what ADHD even is, because sometimes mm-hmm. when I talk, especially when you talk about it in terms of the diagnosis and the treatment, mm-hmm. which are such medicalized terms and people are like, think you you're talking about a disease, you know, or even yes. just the term disorder. People are sort of like, Oh, I'm so sorry you live with this. And I'm like, nah, I'm yes. good. <laughs> You know, yeah, I struggle a lot, but it's sort of like, um, it's such a difficult thing to talk about with people who don't really understand it. Yes. I don't remember where that was from. Oh, we were talking about wedding planning. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to have a special, maybe I'll have a special anniversary episode with all of my wedding planning people. Yes, when it, please. <laughs> uh, so when is it? Because you still, you also have to deal with all the like COVID issues, right? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. it was supposed to be last year in September. Um, and so we moved it to September 18th this year. Um, and I also am in the process of moving. Um, <laughs> of course. City, and I'm in a new house and I just launched my, like a new round of my program. And yeah, so I'm juggling a lot of things right now and just trying to be like, okay, what, 
what really matters here? Like, I don't actually care if there's candles on the table, but Mm. like, I care that people have a good time. There's good music and good food. And so really trying to use that skill of prioritization that (laughs) has been a learned skill (laughs) over the last several years. Or also like trying not to get down on yourself if you need a day where you literally lie on the couch. I think that was always a real struggle for me before my diagnosis, which was like, I would, I I used to think I was a depressed, despondent person because I was like, I feel like I spend all the time lying around on the couch, not doing anything. And then when I took a step back and had that out of body experience where I was like, actually you spent five days working 18 hours in hyper-focus and now you're on the couch because you're exhausted. Like, yes, like yes. why is it that you view yourself in this one state when there's so much more to you? And I was like, oh, like I, I have so much more grace with myself when I need yes. rest now. Yes. Yeah. And it's so similar to like that restrict binge cycle, right? Like very all or nothing. Um, I'm either going a million miles per hour or yeah, like I need to just do nothing for a few days. Um, but being able to like have more self-compassion around that. Um, yeah. And like earlier this week, I had like a plan to make dinner and I just realized like, I am exhausted and like everything was out on the counter and I just ordered Indian food because I was like, I can't do this right now. And my partner was like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you know, you didn't force yourself to do this thing because you feel like you have to. Um, and so I think that like those moments are indicators that like I've grown a lot and I've come to a place where I am actually functioning better. Um, even if old me would have judged um, like that decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. There's so, I feel like that is such a common theme. It's interesting to bring it back again to eating which the the theme of self-compassion and grace when it comes to these decisions where you feel like you should be doing x and you're not yes yeah yeah and sometimes like the actual self-care is like doing the easier thing um, or yeah like not not making things as complicated Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And putting the, you know, and, and taking into account the mental health aspect of our health, mm-hmm. which is again, such a huge shift in mindset with, um, intuitive eating and, and, you know, feeling like all of these behaviors that I was doing when I was dieting were so terrible for my emotional and mental health. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge part of your health. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, so if you could rename ADHD, have you thought about something else that you would call it because it's so problematic for so many of us? Yes. I knew you were going to ask this question and I feel kind of stumped by it. And I I have no answer either, by the way. So if you don't have one either, I'm like, I still have no idea what I, (laughs) I haven't found anything. Yeah. I don't know like what encompasses it. And there was a part of me that was like, you know, like dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome, but like even that, you know, is so medicalized. Um, yeah, I don't know. Shit storm syndrome. I don't know. <laughs> Making yeah. it funny would be really fantastic. So it's not, there's not so much stigma. <laughs> well, well, exactly. I mean, some days I'm like, we have to totally demedicalize all of this. And because really it's a genetic brain type that you're born with. And so it's just as it's just like being left-handed, you know, and so I have that frame of mind where I'm like, it's just a matter of like accommodating the people who think a certain way who have a dopamine deficiency, whatever. And then other days where I'm like, no, it has way more to do with the fact that 
we have experienced various, you know, life events and trauma probably around the undiagnosed life um, that have led to this shit store <laughs> that we find yes. ourselves in, right? So yes. I'm like, do we talk about it in terms of the sort of genetic brain matter, or do we talk about it in terms of like the here and now present tense? What am I dealing with executive function issues? And these things need to be treated and they need to be taken seriously. And it's not a fucking superpower. (laughs) And like going back and forth between (laughs) those two elements too, which is like, it's really just like, it's, it's not a disorder and it's not, you know, this is a wonderful thing. And, and I credit it for a lot, but at the same time also being like, yeah, but your workplace needs to have accommodations and you need to be taken seriously. And yes. Yeah. Well, and that's such a good point, right? Like that it's like how we're existing is a response to like our environment. And if we were left to our own devices and there were no rules, you know, we would potentially be thriving with our personalities. Um, like if there weren't, there weren't expectations around executive function. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I love that. So, yeah. yeah, I still don't have a name for it. I definitely would get rid of the disorder. I think calling it a disorder is a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um at the end of the day, but I also think it is something that needs to be understood and taken seriously. And mm-hmm. again, not to be like like you experienced in your childhood, which is like, haha, you can't sit still, you've got ADHD. And like when I think about how many times just like I've stopped talking about ADHD, I would r- much rather describe the characteristics because mm-hmm. when I say I have ADHD, I have no idea what that person is thinking when I tell mm-hmm. them that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and yes. that's really frustrating because I'm like, no, it's actually not looking at squirrels and being hyperactive. And like people will forward me things being like, haha, look at this meme I saw about ADHD yes. and the squirrel. And I'm like, it's not about fucking squirrels. Right. It's about, you know, it's yes. about like deep seated depression and anxiety. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh. yeah. So, but as you know, our experiences are all really different too, even mm-hmm. just how we've lived with and experienced ADHD. I mean, that's what I love about this podcast is, is mm-hmm. finding interviewing so many women and hearing so many different experiences and yeah. how we've come to this. It's, yeah. Okay. So how can people find you and work with you and just get more of your awesomeness? And I know you do group coaching and what, what do you have in the future? Are you taking a break because of your wedding? I definitely, I have a group program, an online group program that has like a course with modules and it has group coaching and, um, co-working sessions and lots of community support. Um, And I'm going to actually make that into or offer a version of it that's like a membership, a monthly membership. So it's smaller amounts of information with all of the support um, over a longer period of time, because I think that that will really serve um, more people. Um, Yeah, so I will be, the goal is to launch that in October. Um, so hopefully that will be out and yeah, people can follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm at the underscore ADHD underscore RD. Um, and that's also my, my handle on Facebook. Um, and then wise heart nutrition is my like website and, and my business. I love the name wise heart. How did you come up with that? Yeah. Um, it was sort of like the, the brain heart connection, um, that if we are able to like kind of listen to our heart a little more and make sense of it, 
then we can actually take care of ourselves um, and that our wisdom is actually coming from like our heart brain rather than our brain brain. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I talk about that when I work with teenage girls and preteens, I talk about like our wisdom centers and I'm like, you have your brain, but your brain is often like not very trustworthy because your brain absorbs a lot of outside voices that aren't yours, but I'm like, you have two other wisdom centers, your heart and your gut. And those wisdom centers never lie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's so true. What does your heart say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I would definitely recommend signing up for your newsletters because I love your emails. So um, so thank you for that. And I, I think, again, you know, one thing I love about your approach is just how um, you don't paint it like it's this wonderful journey full of roses and epiphanies that you're, you know, you're very real <laughs> about how like it is hard, but it doesn't have to be this hard. <laughs> And I really, I like that approach too. Thank you. Yes. Um, Awesome. Well, I look forward to following more and finding more of your work. I think it's so important. And I think, you know, coming those realizations between ADHD and eating and dieting and, and that restriction binge cycle and how it really is a metaphor for so much in our life is such a fascinating conversation. And I'm glad you are helping so many women out there so many men and women and um well yeah and i want to thank you too i i love your podcast and i just feel so appreciative um that you are offering it and i know that it's been really helpful for a lot of my clients and yeah i just think you're doing really great work as well so it's it's an honor to be on there you have it thank you for listening and i really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and adhd podcast Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.